week 26, I think. You know how I am with numbers, but uh, welcome to this week's message. In the 1970s, a man uh, named Dan Cooper, who was wrongly uh, named D.B. Cooper by the press and the name stuck, uh, hijacked a commercial airplane and demanded $200,000 and then leapt out of that airplane midair and disappeared forevermore on the forest floor below. And the event has led to hundreds of FBI agents, police, and amateur sleuths to try to figure out his identity, his location, and exactly how he did it. Now, most of us have probably heard of this uh, story. And being human, we might have found ourselves temporarily preoccupied with Wow, that's fascinating. Who is he? How did he do it? But for some people, the case of D.B. Cooper uh, becomes a lifelong obsession. And uh, for years, they seek and try to find uh, who he is and his identity. Because we are aimed in a similar vein at discovering truths, but in the realm of spiritual matters, the findings and results from the D.B. Cooper uh, case are interesting in uh, they're not tied uh, specifically to what we uh, do and what we're concerned with, but to the byproduct of these amateur sleuths and sometimes professional FBI agents and police who have dedicated their years to trying to solve the case. And the most prominent results that I think that have come out of this search and chase for D.B. Cooper is what is a evidence of what is called confirmation bias and something most of us understand in our day and age to some degree or another. So listen, confirmation bias is the tendency for people to search for, interpret, favor, recall information, or observe information in a way that confirms or supports prior beliefs or ideas or values. Uh, people display bias when they select information, confirmation bias, that supports their view while ignoring contrary information and or when they will take ambiguous information that really plays no part in establishing the truth and will uh, apply it to their existing beliefs. The effect is strongest for desired outcomes that we want for emotionally charged issues and for deeply entrenched beliefs. Confirmation bias is like something we all, it's like our skin as human beings. You, you almost can't help but live by confirmation bias because in the absence of our biases, we live in a state of uncertainty. And the state of uncertainty, according to Spinoza, uh, is untenable for the human mind. We have to have what's true and concrete and real and right. And so we construct biases and then we walk through the world and we look for things 
to confirm our biases, right? And the effect is really powerful in uh, religion. Understand confirmation bias can't be eliminated. Uh, we are predispositionally suppo uh, supposed to see things the way we have learned about them. And, uh, but confirmation bias can be managed and it can be confronted by your own person. And, um, and it can be partially eliminated through education and experience in critical thinking and developing skills in deeply reflective analysis. Asking ourselves, why do I believe this to be true? What has led me to accept these conclusions? And then what has led me to continually see evidence that supports my conclusions instead of seeing evidence that goes contrary to them? Biased search for information, biased interpretation of information, and biased memory recall of information uh, have at least four expressions when it comes to confirmation bias. And the experts say that they include one, belief perseverance. Uh, when beliefs persist after the evidence shows that the belief is wrong. Now, uh, you know, I have had to do a lot of confirmation bias examination in my own person. And I still do it constantly because like I said, it's there in us. It's like our skin. And, but, you know, I have gone through a forest of overcoming confirmation bias. And so I have in some ways been strengthened through the process and am more adept in my own life to confront it when it appears. That happened when I was LDS. I was taught from a baby the things I was supposed to believe and see. And then as I wandered through life and went on a mission and went to different Sunday school and seminary classes and different things like that, my biases were confirmed by the evidences that I saw. And I was also able to get rid of anything that countered my bias of being Latter-day Saint. So belief perseverance in the face of contrary information is a form of confirmation bias. Uh, attitude polarization is something else that they say, which means when a disagreement becomes more extreme, even though evidence suggests the contrary, when attitude polarization means in the face of a contrary bit of information to our biases, we become more ensconced in what we believe. I don't care. I believe it. You know, it's true. It's true. And so that, that's something else we do to protect our biases. They have something that they call the irrational primacy effect, which speaks to greater reliance on information and contrary information uh, ap no, uh, after contrary information is presented. So uh, these are kind of the same thing, but someone says there's nothing in that glass and I say, there's nothing in that glass. And someone gives me the glass and lets me hold it and look in it. 
and I insist even more so there's nothing in the glass. That's irrational, irrational primary affectation. And then there is something called illusory uh, correlation. And I have a natural tendency to do this, which is when people falsely perceive associations with some content where there really is none. Okay. You, and, and there might be some truth to it on a spiritual sense relative to archetypes and Jungian, uh, uh, group collective thinking. I don't know, but, but it's when, you know, um, you perceive associations that aren't there. For instance, someone who believes that God punishes people after this life forever in flames of fire. And they observe on the news that a church for of the Baha'i faith catches on fire and 20 people inside died burning. The illusory correlation to a Christian would say, God's going to do that. I, you can see a picture of a type of it right here. He's burning them up. He doesn't love them. And if he burns them up in this life, imagine what they're going to face, not knowing the real Lord after this life. It's illusory uh, confirmation where we borrow things to support our errant prejudices. In the case of D.B. Cooper, dozens of hypothecations have come forward over the years, embraced by numerous people uh, who um, believe there are a handful of suspects that should be considered. But what is most fascinating to our discussion right now is that professionals, cops, FBI, and amateur sleuths have a tendency to pick a subject and then impute all of the facts about D.B. Cooper onto them. And it makes that particular pet subject that they favor the one who most logically, in their mind, fits. But we have 12 subjects out there who many sleuths and detectives and FBI agents believe fit the D.B. Cooper model best. And here's the reality. Only one, or maybe none, of them are right. They can't all be right. The problem is, of the dozens of suspects upheld, there can only be, in reality, one truth. That's the case when it comes to how we understand God's makeup. People, in my estimation, have said, I have been taught that God is a man and that Jesus is his first spiritual son and I will become like God and I'll become a God. And that confirmation bias is supported by everything they read, see, and do. Other people have been taught that God is a trinity, that there's three persons that make up the one God. There's a father, there's a son, there's a Holy Spirit. They're all three separate persons like Manny, Mo, and Jack, and yet they collectively make the one God. There are persons who say there's one God. And then there's uh, evidences or manifestations of him. And we do that with the makeup of God. We do that with establishing doctrine on baptism. We do that with how we see the church, how we read the Bible. Everything, confirmation bias, will step in 
and play a role. And as I said, I experienced my own confirmation bias years ago when I finished my LDS mission. And on that LDS mission, I went around door to door. Door to door was big then for us and in Pennsylvania, Harrisburg. And I didn't care what anyone said, did, or showed me. I remember sitting down with evangelical Christians who took out their Bible and showed me stuff. And I could not, for the life of me, see their view. And I could only confirm my own bias toward the faith all along the way. When I was confronted with historical facts about the faith, biblical tenets that, that went contradictory to Mormonism, I was literally blind. I could not see. And um, so confirmation bias doesn't only exist in what we cling to, but it also is in the subcategory of it confirming and reaffirming our biases as we live our life. And we continue to add um, errant content in the support of our bias. And that becomes a snowball. You start with a little belief and it snowballs and it collects more and more uh, beliefs, whether they are real or not. And by the end, that snowball is at the bottom of the hill and we call it our faith system. And a lot of times, most of those things are based in confirmation bias. And like I said, religious people are most prone to this. So while it's more than human for confirmation bias to exist in science, it exists with our scientists. They, they say they have theories and things, but they have confirmation bias and detective work and parents, you know, confirmation bias, you want to see it exist. Most mothers, at least when they are first mothers, they have confirmation bias. They think their child is the most beautiful and they think their child is the smartest and they think their child can never do anything wrong. As time goes on, some of those biases wear away until the kid proves otherwise. But nevertheless, mothers have a great deal of confirmation bias going on in the way they assess their family, their mothering, their lives. Again, it's part of the human way. But confirmation thrives more in the realm of religion than anything else. And um, I cannot claim to be exempt from it. Uh, I have to admit, I'm probably more prone to it, actually, than others may be, um, which could be a bias in and of itself. But I have a super strong tendency to make connections to things where there might not be a connection and to see things where there is nothing between them and meaning where there is none. And because of this, I believed in Mormonism because of this really strong penchant that I personally possess. So when I learned that fault within me, I had to make the decision that I would challenge my biases along the way. And to see with all the pain that comes with it, the other side of things. And to test and challenge what is presented to me as fact. It's not faithlessness. It's a form of trying to pursue and establish good faith. Instead of relying on the traditions of men that lend to supporting and encouraging confirmation bias in the people who just lazily uh, follow after them. 
So to the application of this teaching today, what was it that allowed me, and, and I'm not holding myself up. There are people who come out of all different faiths, but it's not easy. What is it that allows them, what is it that allowed me to convinced as I was that Mormonism was true, to allow myself to see otherwise, even though my whole family was, we benefited from it, great social group, good people, you know, for the most part. And what was it that allowed me to begin to accept contradictory information and more importantly, the ability to accept such information? And in my case, which is not the case for all people, but in my specific case, if it can help, is that I have and developed or was given by God nurture a desire for authenticity. So I think that confirmation bias starts to fade when someone says, I want to be authentic. In other words, I came to a point where the beliefs I was passing around as true proved to be incapable of supporting me in my drive to be genuine. I tried to apply what I claimed was true and live by a testimony of Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Praise, Doctrine and Covenants, prophets, all the commandments, and embrace them genuinely. But I discovered a disconnect between what they produced and what I was. And so I, that was in that disconnect, that disingenuous living existed. The religion's reaction to this was that I needed to change, that there was something I needed to do to conform. And it's not just the Latter-day Saints who do that. You go to any Baptist church and you, and you challenge uh, uh, some of their teachings, they'll say, you have a problem and you need to change. Never allowing themselves because of confirmation bias to suggest that they need to change, right? And so doctrines and practices of Mormonism didn't do anything to change me authentically or support me in my effort to continue to try to be real. In other words, I had to adapt my makeup to Mormonism. Christians have to uh, uh, adapt their thoughts to Christianity or the denomination they choose. And so I had to play the game. I had to pull back on how God created me and, uh, and be something I was not. And that's disingenuous. So the relentless demand for authenticity before God, I think is important to overcoming confirmation bias. And uh, Jesus says to the woman at the well, or he describes these people as the true worshipers. He compares the people in Jerusalem and he compares the worshipers in Samaritan. And he says, hey, the time comes. In fact, the hour now is when the father uh, seeks the true worshipers who seek him in spirit and truth. See, and so in order to be authentic and overcome confirmation bias, you've got to be a seeker. And I know I'm speaking to the crowd here, but I'm just trying to encourage you that your makeup, if you challenge things, is not wrong. It's good.
for years, I assumed that I was the defective one, the broken one, the evil one. And even when I became an evangelical and began to challenge my biases, I was called a non-believer, an unbeliever, a heretic, son of the devil, right? And, uh, but I saw that while I could not escape the way I saw the world around me and how to relate to it, others who seemed more faithful seemed to externally live the faith and they were more genuine. But all they were really doing when I look back in retrospect was confirming their own biases and they were the fearful ones. They were the ones who would not examine their faith, not with any amount of openness. So I would see people who abhorred R-rated movies and I liked them, not because of their gratuitous sex or language or violence, but I just thought they were made better and they told better stories. And uh, they abhorred the music I liked. And yet they were often judgmental from the heart and mean and, and, and controlling. And so those disconnects between these observations and the desire to be authentic is the first step I suggest to you. Once the door cracked open, between what I was seeing, believing, doing, and being, confirmation bias began to fade and my willingness to embrace contradictory information improved. And so I'm eternally grateful that God allowed me and you and others to see and hear and seek and test and challenge and expose and test all things, everything. There is no dishonor in that. There's honor and there's goodness because God seeks the true worshipers who seek him in spirit and truth. I exited Mormonism. As you know, I entered American evangelicalism and I still was clutching to biases that I had built upon in Mormonism, even in my newfound faith. And where I certainly discovered more freedom and more truth in evangelicalism, I realized much more quickly in my experience with them that the demand God has for his children to pursue him in spirit and truth and to test all things and to hold fast to what is good uh, and to shine a light into the darkest parts of our souls in order to discover and see him was present readily within all these other religious expressions. For example, the notion of hell, afterlife punishment of evildoers was committed to my heart. And when I read scripture, I saw evidence for all of it. Um, uh, I, you see, I wanted there to be a hell. I wanted evildoers to be punished forever while I would be rewarded for my faith. And it wasn't until I really examined that confirmation bias, looked in my own heart, saw how disingenuous I was, that that door cracked open and I was able to start to see the scripture, hear the scripture in a way that is confirmed through the language and the text far better than I could see it through biased eyes. So when the genuine faith in Jesus was added to the mix through personal roadside experience, I became even more ardent in my stance on eternal punishment. But it wasn't until I began to put these things together that I stepped from that. In addition to being authentic to who God made 
us all to be, which is immediately an affront to the cultures of religion imposed upon us. In addition to possessing to some degree or another a drive to be genuine, which will open us up to seeing and hearing, confirmation bias is also confronted by people choosing, and it's a choice, choosing to humble themselves. See, no matter how you or I are constructed or what we've been exposed to, God seeks those who seek him in spirit and truth, and he wants us to have a broken and contrite heart before him. He loves humility, the renunciation of pride, heartfelt breaking of our will in the face of his. Confirmation bias in the end is an expression of human will. Confirmation bias is an expression of the human will. It says, I'm going to believe this no matter what I'm told. You could have asked me when I was a, a, a thriving Mormon or a thriving evangelical, uh, if an angel from God came and told you otherwise, would you believe it? And I'd say, no, never. Never, okay? And that was me sequestering myself in a corner of self-will. I will not believe that. Instead, the humble, contrite heart looks to God and says, your will, show me truth, spirit, light, show me. I will go wherever you show me. And the results of him showing are always going to be increasing faith and increasing love. If God showed me in my mind that polygamy was good, I could see readily from the fruit of the Spirit that that was my own mind, my own confirmation bias, and it was a lie. Because it's not loving to women. It's only self-indulgent for men. You see? And so you can take your confirmation bias, humble yourself before God, ask Him to show you the truth, study the Scripture by the Spirit, Humbly be willing to receive what he has to say, and your eyes will open more and more to his truth. Don't listen to me. I'll teach, but don't believe me because it's me. Test, seek, overcome those confirmation biases, and God will enlighten you to the height, depth, width, and breadth of what is Christ. So it was a moment of being broken and humbled that I realized that I was in need of this to understand him better. And in the years prior, I never would have considered information contrary to what my biases were. And so when the door opened, I started to consider other information, which shined a light. Now people will say, well, you really haven't tested your Christianity. And when you really do, Sean, you will find it to be uh, lacking. And I say, you don't know me and you don't know what I've tested. I've looked at hedonism. I've looked at nihilism. I've looked at existentialism. I've, I've understood the philosophies pretty well. I renounced God as being uh, uh, present or being existent in my past. I've challenged Christianity. I've seen all the other gospels that people look at. I've tested it. I challenge every single principle I try to discover the truth about because it's the only way to come to the truth. And I don't believe in catering to my biases. So I might fail in that, but we work together on it. 
So this brings me to the final point in overcoming confirmation bias. And that is having the humble mindset of being a seeker. The humble mindset of being a seeker. I would believe that if you're watching this video, you're a seeker. You don't need me in your life. You're finding things on your own. You don't need a religion. The spirit moves in you and that's great, okay? But if you have biases that you haven't challenged, that you're afraid to challenge, become a humble seeker. Go forward. I believe that at the end of the game, if I was talking to an atheist, I believe that the difference between the two, between an atheist mindset, heart set, pride, and, and the self-imposed humility and seeking attitude I have of trying to overcome my confirmation bias would be this. When we stand before God, we will see that there is really no identity that is valuable except that in Christ. And that anybody who tries to face God without that broken humility of being a seeker will find themselves being nothing but a poser, a phony. See, when an atheist says it's all me, 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 I did it all, I did this, I created this, I my myself, you know, they're going to die and they're going to see they're a phony. Why? Because God gave them everything, their intellect, their life, their breath, their everything, and they never saw it. So really they live phony lives. When you embrace Christ and you let him in and you seek the truth with a humble heart to overcome your uh, confirmational biases, you remove yourself from being a phony. You step into being more authentic. And then God, he gives you more and more light and you overcome those things that you prejudicially want to retain. I challenge you now, if you have some biases, doctrine, practice, beliefs, outlooks that you've never tested out of fear to test them. And let God show you, not men, not philosophy. Let God show you through his word read by the spirit. Love you guys.